0: Cool. All right, here we go. Calvinism is much false doctrine as a woman preacher. Well, of course, in fundamentalism, you define everything as a gospel issue. This is a true mark of Christian maturity to discern the difference of issues. I got an idea. Let's not wrong with anybody
1: who thinks they got another idea.
0: There's a lot of different understandings of what the days are in Genesis 1 and to what degree evolution was part of how God created things.
1: I have disagreements with him in some areas, but those are adiaphora, those are side issues, many important issues. So many Bible doctrines are ruined when we use the wrong words. This is why it's so critical
0: that we use only the King James Bible. You got to have that right or get out of here. Pray God that I don't take every minor thing and make a major thing out of it. Nothing divides like truth. I respect them as brothers in the Lord, with whom I have some strong differences, but they have a big problem with me. Is there a way that we can work together? I think fundamentally we have to say yes. Christians can
1: disagree and still kick it.
0: All right, welcome back to Do Theology, where today we are going to discuss the concept of secondary doctrine. That is doctrine that um, is not definitional to Christianity, doctrine that is not Foundational uh, gospel that it, or doctrine rather that does not define what the gospel is, but doctrines that we would call secondary, second tier, um, anything of that nature that uh, signifies that it is not paramount to the uh, definition of Christianity. Uh, today, we are going to dive into that, and that's going to be hopefully uh, instructive for a lot of us, even for the two of us. And the two of us are. Jeremy Howard, I am in Utah,
1: and Ken Shipchase, I am in Southern Indiana.
0: Yeah, Southern Indiana, you're a Hoosier. Well,
1: let's, give a, right. uh, let's give a let's
0: give a one minute life update. What do you got going on in Southern Indiana, Mister Hoosier?
1: Yeah, so uh, working on this church plant here. We've been uh, this week. I've been meeting uh, on the phone with and talking to a local nonprofit that has a facility that we are hoping to uh, be able to rent uh, that we can um use that as a location for our bible study as we continue to reach out to the community and seek to to bring people uh in and uh be learning god's word together so
0: that's kind of exciting and you guys are going verse by verse through song of solomon which i think is a great (laughs) (laughs) way
1: to get a church plant started off on the right foot right yeah something like that (laughs) we're going through second peter uh which is a uh fantastic little book. It is a it is just jam-packed full of all kinds of goodness. So, yeah.
0: Sweet. Well, it is snowy here in Utah. We are recording this in mid-January and we've got probably four inches of snow this morning. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful winter day. My basement has been uh, worked on this week by people other than me, which is it's very exciting to be at that stage, and so we're going to start painting our basement this weekend, uh, getting that done, and uh, super excited about that. We're preaching through Deuteronomy here at the church and having a great time. So um, yeah, studying the Book of Acts on our midweek study, doing Old Testament biographies in our Sunday school class. We just have a lot a lot of Bible uh, teaching sessions going on every week, which keeps us all on our toes.
1: That's great. That's good.
0: I love Deuteronomy. That's a great book. Well, let's talk secondary doctrine. You want to throw out some initial uh, definitions so we can start to wrap our minds around how we even draw a line between primary and secondary?
1: Yeah. So like we talked about on the previous episodes about the primary doctrine, um, we kind of define that as issues that are definitional to Christianity are what define what makes someone a Christian, um, things that, uh, transcend hermeneutics that you can have different hermeneutical did you approaches. No, did
0: you Hear that sound that I made. Oh, sorry. Did you hear that? Yes. Oh, I just did that in the middle of you talking. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah, these uh, primary doctrinal issues are things that transcend hermeneutics. You can have different hermeneutical approaches and yet um, still have a, a common understanding on those issues and they are definitional to Christianity. As we begin to look at secondary doctrine, uh, and I guess, again, in the primary doctrine category, we talked about things like, you know, what is the gospel and the you know, sinfulness of man, the unique nature of Christ and, and things like that. Um, you know, the inerrancy and authority of the Word of God. Well, as we sh- shift over to secondary doctrine, these are issues that um, th- we would say Scripture allows for more interpretive uh, differences in these things. We, um, these are doctrinal things that um, do not transcend hermeneutics. You know, people with different hermeneutical approaches have different uh, interpretations on these things uh, and, and come down uh, with different conclusions, but it does not affect uh, your, you know, standing as a Christian, right? Pe- we can disagree on these things, and yet we can both hold to, uh, hold to the primary things, and we are both Christians. We are both um, uh, those that um, are 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 saved, uh, and so that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, how we would define the secondary category. Yeah, and it's interesting,
0: uh, We I don't think we really got into this so much in the last couple of episodes, but it is a worthy thought uh, to ponder, how is it that there, that primary doctrine exists as an agreed upon, um, or maybe I shouldn't say primary doctrine there, maybe I should just say, how is it that there are foundational Christian doctrines that are agreed upon across the board? And we know that it's not because, well, we all... Um, We all listen to the same Bible teacher today, uh, and we all agree with him like there's some kind of pope that we follow. Well, that's not true. Um, You know, Roman Catholics would say otherwise, but they disagree (laughs) with us on primary doctrine. So, um, uh, for Protestants, how is there agreement among Protestants on what is definitional to Christianity? Well, we know that. Ultimately, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. There's unity because of what God is doing. Ephesians chapter four, there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism, all of that. Mm -hmm. And God uh, brings that about in our hearts. And the way he does that, the means he uses isn't just like zapping us and saying, okay, now your brain is totally connected to all the primary doctrines that all other believers agree with. But in, instead, the, he uses means, and the means he uses is his word. And so we mm-hmm. all go back to the word of God. And no matter what denominational background we have or presuppositions we might have uh, about things like end times or miracles or um, God's sovereignty, all of that stuff, we can still agree on the gospel. We can still agree on the Trinity. We can still agree on uh, biblical morality and things like that, because there are things in scripture that do seem to ring true no matter what kind of perspective people are bringing to the Bible, because if those mm-hmm. things aren't true, then nothing makes sense in the Bible. And so right. that's, um, that's what really uh, makes primary and secondary different is that uh, there are certain things in the Bible That you just cannot disagree with, because if you did, the whole Bible, none of it would make sense. It would just be a book of nonsense and contradiction. Um, Whereas with secondary, there is that room for disagreement based on the kind of paradigm that you apply to the scripture as you read it. And um, so, yeah, I I think uh, that might be helpful for some people as they try to try to figure that out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just the the distinction between yeah these things are absolutely rock solid crystal clear versus some other things that uh yeah it's just clear that the clarity is not there yeah and and, and there so. are some things where it's like, okay,
0: that seems secondary, but that's really important too like where does that mm. fall, and we're not gonna get into those in this episode, maybe in the next episode we'll do that a little bit and but those are really there are some that are really difficult, but then there are some where it's just very clear that. This isn't even approaching a, a gospel issue at all, and so right um, there's there's a range within secondary doctrine too that's important to recognize. So,
1: right, yeah, and I think I think along with that thought, um, we do want to stress as well. You know, sometimes, you know, especially I would say in more um, uh, fundamentalist circles, um, there's uh, a lot of times to say the word secondary doctrine. Immediately is going to be a red flag to some people. They're like, Whoa, are you saying? And, you know, I've, I've heard this. Are you saying that that truth that God has revealed is secondary? It's unimportant. And you yeah, like, didn't wanna... reveal
0: primary truth and secondary truth.
1: He revealed truth. Right, exactly. And so, uh, but we want to be really clear that we're not saying that just because, you know, we're recognizing that some things we would consider to be secondary, that doesn't mean that they're not important, right? And that doesn't mean that there's not a correct position on those things. It's just a more of a recognition of, of you know, what, what does the Bible actually say and how clear is it and, um, and what are the implications uh, for affirming or denying These things. And so, yeah. And and um, this, I
0: mean, based on what you just said, I mean, we have to recognize that this is a human problem. From God's perspective, Mm -hmm. there is no primary and secondary. uh, Right. Because he understands all things, he reveals all things, he's the originator of all things. So for him, it's being God alone, everything is perfect and altogether perfect. For us, we are fallen. Are, we are limited in our understanding, we are finite, we are just wrestling with our own uh, opinions and prerogatives that come from maybe a fallen place, maybe they come from a good place and we're trying to figure that out and sort all that out and and so as the recipients of revelation, not the givers of revelation but the recipients of revelation, it's then our duty to do it to the best of our ability while recognizing in this World, we will never have absolute one hundred percent unity in all things, and that's a good thing. God, God is not only a god of unity; He's also a god of diversity. And um, for anybody who maybe didn't hear the previous episodes, the the concept isn't just primary and secondary; it's primary, secondary, and then a third column uh, called doubtful or conscience issues. And if you if you read through Romans, you'll see very clearly in Romans 14 that God um, works on our consciences in different ways. There are certain people that can do some things from faith and some people who can't, and there's no condemnation uh, given toward either party there, but it's just the way that it is, that there are people who are different. There are people whose consciences won't allow them to do certain things, and we'll talk about that in future episodes. uh, But for now, When it comes to secondary doctrine and denominational divides, those can be good and healthy also because we learn from each other uh, based on these different paradigms and these different perspectives that we might have while maintaining that unity in the gospel and in the foundational doctrines of Christianity. So the problem occurs when we say that, well, secondary stuff isn't good, diversity isn't good, we need to elevate everything to primary so we can have the unity that God desires for us, well, that's a mischaracterization. Um, Or if we say, well, diversity is good, and therefore the liberal Episcopalian uh, Bishop Mary, who teaches that Jesus uh, may not have even existed, she's also our sister too. Well, that's not good either. There's, There's both unity and diversity, and finding that balance is our goal.
1: Right. Uh, so A phrase that I heard, I've heard a while back, I don't remember where I read it, um, but it was helpful for this very discussion. Unity does not mean unanimity, right? And that's something that we want to keep in mind, that we can actually be unified as a body of believers, even if we have some differences of opinion on a few uh, of these things that we would put in this secondary column. Um, and so... Um, yeah, to, to say that we have to be unified on everything and have unanimity. Well now that begins to take us down some paths that are very difficult to walk down because let's be honest, you take out two two Christians from, from anywhere and you know, figure out, you know, it's it's gonna be difficult to, to say that, oh yeah, you are in one hundred percent agreement on every single thing on across the board, all the way down. Yeah. It's like, well, no.
0: Which, so, which then, um, you know, we, we do have to recognize within the Trinity, there's a unity and diversity. Within God's people, there's unity and diversity. That's the whole body analogy, one body with many various members. And so for the Baptists, we have to recognize God is pleased to use the Presbyterians. And for the Presbyterians, they have to recognize God is pleased to use the <laughs> Baptists. And uh, in admitting that, confessing that, uh, finding joy in that, is our duty and to say, well, well, they're so far off cause they're, they, they sprinkle babies. Well, um, I disagree with them on that, but uh, we can't say that God, therefore is opposed to them because they have a disagreement with us on a secondary
1: issue. Right. As long as they're affirming those, those primary things. Yeah. Yeah. Affirming all of that. Um, something else with that discussion, that I think it's helpful to point out is that I think, the majority of Christians already intuitively recognize and practice the principles that we just kind of laid forth in these definitions. But the reason why we, we want to talk about it is we want to provide a little bit of clarity for the discussion, right? Because I think there's, though we kind of intuitive, intuitively approach this uh, and, and, and behave in certain ways based on this kind of rubric, sometimes I think we don't do it well uh, and we can confuse uh, things that are in the secondary column and we start you know dragging them over into primary when they don't belong there. or you know we shift things into in- inappropriate columns. Uh, and so providing some of these definitions and, and talking through these issues, uh, hopefully we can get what belongs in which column uh, straight and that's based on, god's word not based on oh well i just don't think this is quite nearly as important
0: well it's based on most often for most people it's based on how i feel about this particular doctrine today right yeah <laughs> Is yeah. a primary so or secondary <laughs> um and so we'll never be able to absolutely fit everything into perfect straight lace columns with perfect lines between them i mean there's always going to be we even within our own hearts and minds some consternation and back and forth and everything else, but we want to move from just these amorphous blobs that kind of float around and well, it's primary today, secondary tomorrow, whatever. We want to move from that to something that's more biblically defined. And Mm -hmm. if you were to ask the average person, um, once they say that something is secondary say oh can you show me in the bible um how you arrived at that conclusion that something is secondary most people have never thought of it they just live mm-hmm. that way but they've never thought does the bible actually teach that and so that would be good for us to jump into
1: yeah so what's uh what's what are some passages that uh, that would help us see first of all that yeah there actually are some things in the bible that that um that we could say uh, would fit into a secondary column. What, uh, what passages of Scripture would, would lead us to that understanding and be helpful for us as we try to sort where where things go? Yeah, to me, the clearest one is Paul and
0: Barnabas in Acts 15 on the missionary journey. Uh, I'll just read the passage. This is Acts 15, 36 to 40. Uh, it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return. Boy, your keyboard's loud. You know, loud keyboard. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Paul, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So to me, uh, we see very clearly here a secondary doctrine disagreement, and the doctrine that they're disagreeing on is qualifications for ministry. Is John Mark qualified or not? And if, if you know your Bible, you kind of know the end of the story here, where at the end of Paul's life, he makes reference again to Mark and says he's very useful to me for ministry. And so at the end, at least, we have um, this full-on embrace that Mark's qualified for ministry. In Paul's mind, he was disqualified at one point, and now he's qualified again, and uh, that's going on. But the question that we have before us in Acts 15 is, is John Mark qualified for ministry? He, he yeah. bailed on them in an earlier journey. He was there with them, and then he said, apparently things were too tough. Paul thought he quit for a bad reason, and therefore he uh, is not qualified. Barnabas saw it differently, and they split. And the Bible never says Barnabas was wrong and Paul was right, or vice versa. Uh, it's just... It says it. It describes it. And uh, and so we, we see that and just have to recognize that neither Paul nor Barnabas were wrong or right. They were just in disagreement over what God would desire for a man as it pertains to ministry qualifications in that context.
1: Right. Yeah, that's a... Uh, and it's funny because uh, that passage itself... Uh, there's different, you know, people even uh, interpret that passage in different ways itself, and in, in how they would understand the nature of that disagreement. And yet, the people who would disagree are all affirming that, yeah, this is a secondary thing. Like this isn't how they understand the passage itself. Uh, I don't know. It's just a little bit of a yeah. I mean, we, we get illustration.
0: We get very little detail, don't we, as to yeah. what what was going on, um, and it's important that scripture doesn't say one was right or one was wrong. Right. Yeah. We have to fundamentally embrace that. If we're going to get secondary doctrine, you got to embrace that. Um, Another one is in the book of Acts, Uh, Acts 21, where Paul has returned to Jerusalem and is meeting with James and Paul's describing what's going on. With the Gentiles, it says what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And James and the fellow leaders at the church there in Jerusalem were celebrating with Paul. And uh, this is just so amazing. This is in at the end of Acts 21, verse 20. Uh, James says this to Paul after they all celebrated. Like, okay, hey, Gentiles are getting saved. God is using us to save Greeks and uh, all these pagan people. And they're like, woohoo, and they uh, have a toast or whatever, you know. Um Now James says this, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Uh, and then goes on, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but it's very interesting that James makes it clear that these are believers who like circumcision and the customs of the law a lot more than Paul does. Uh, They believe that Paul, as a teacher, kind of like a famous conference speaker of his time, but certainly more pastorally, as he spent a lot of time in each place he would go to, they said, Paul actually isn't using the Old Testament in the way that we would prefer the Old Testament to be used. Um, And the Gentiles who followed Paul's teaching on that were believers, and the Jews in Jerusalem who didn't really like Paul's teaching on that were also believers. And James, when he asked the question, what then is to be done? He goes on to say, just do what we tell you. We have four guys who are under a vow Uh, This is a a Jewish religious vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believed... having decided that they should they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from fornication. And that's from the Jerusalem Council, which is another good place to go to for all of this. But basically the solution to this was, okay, Paul, guy who's been teaching the Gentiles that these Jerusalem believers don't agree with, just forsake your liberties that you have to not walk in the customs of the law and just walk in the customs of the law for the sake of Basically, this denomination, because we 're talking about a group of believers, we're not talking about one individual, we 're talking about a whole group of believers, um, and follow their customs for this area uh, in their churches so that you won't be a stumbling block to them. Again, not saying one is right or one is wrong, but saying right. but saying, uh, let's focus on unity here, forsake your liberties for the sake of letting them do their thing as this this church in jerusalem
1: right and 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 paul he did that advice and he went with it like okay that, that was what you know what james had had brought up and paul's like okay well that's that, there's wisdom there and he went along with that uh inside and, so, and of course we know then a story that the jews riled up uh, the you know the unbelieving jews riled people up and got him arrested um uh but yeah there was he he went along with that he purified himself and and uh in uh had a clear conscience in the midst of that in doing that so yeah. yeah and didn't try to persuade them otherwise right yeah so obviously
0: he didn't see it as a primary issue that needed to be addressed mm-hmm. uh, which is wild to think about because you read that and it doesn't just seem like baptists and presbyterians it seems like are they seventh-day adventists <laughs> 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 you know <laughs> um we don't know all the details of what the customs were that they really cherished, but at least circumcision was one of them. That one was listed. And uh so he just went with it. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, another one is Mark 9. Uh Mark 9, Jesus is with the disciples, um, starting in verse 38. And the uh the disciples turn to Jesus and say, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. What do you think were, the disciples were thinking when they said that? Uh, and actually it doesn't say the disciples said to him. It says, John said to him. So one of the sons of thunder, what do you think he was thinking?
1: Well, I imagine he's out there. Say, so, Hey, this, this guy is out here. He's, he's, Casting out demons in your name, but he's not even, he's not one of us. He's not one of the 12. He's not one of our, your disciples. What gives?
0: Yeah. I mean, in that, that attitude kind of presupposes that we are the one true church, the 12 of us, you know, I, I, they wouldn't say church at this point, but Mm -hmm. I mean, we are the one true group of people and no one else. If you're not with us, then you're not a believer. Um, like some churches maybe that exist in various towns around the world might say, well, we're the only church in this town. That's right. And if they're not at this church, then they're wrong. Uh, Perhaps some of that kind of attitude going on. And they took it as serious as, uh, you know, we tried to prevent him from casting out (laughs) demons. (laughs) Um, Now Jesus responds, don't hinder him for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name And be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name, as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. So this is not one of the strongest passages on secondary doctrine, but we do see that dynamic going on there, don't we? Um, Hey, we're with Jesus and this guy over here claims to be with Jesus, but he's not with us. How can we both be with Jesus and not be together basically is what's going on. And Jesus says, um, no, that's, that's just kind of the way it is, John. So stop getting in his way.
1: Right. Yeah. So if we see our, uh, our, our Presbyterian brethren across the street and they're out there proclaiming the gospel and they are right down the, you know, They've got the primary doctrine settled. Like, wait a second. They're not with us. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be out there. Like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then one more.
0: This is probably the weakest of them, uh, of the four that I had for us to chat about. But in 1 Corinthians 11, talking about head coverings, which you should just like give us a full expose on this. Oh, yeah. How many you just wrote a paper here recently about this how many words or pages was it
1: uh, it was 16 pages but that was woefully inadequate to, to handle the subject matter uh, that that paper could have easily been 25 pages and it wouldn't even been still would have been too short
0: uh, on head covering specifically head, uh, yeah on head coverings uh, First corinthians 11. Issue,
1: yes 1st corinthians 11 and the nature of whether or not head coverings Uh, Should we should require those for our women today.
0: (laughs) So we're not going to talk about that specifically. (laughs) Um, But just jumping into verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her? For her hair is given to her for a covering, but if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. So uh, the only thing I really wanted to point out in this passage is the practice of the churches that is mentioned in verse sixteen. There appeal or appears to be rather a an appeal to what the individual churches are deciding based on their own interpretation of the word of God as to how this custom will play out. Now he appeals to unity among those churches. Mm -hmm. Um, he says we have no other practice perhaps meaning the apostles, um, nor have the churches of God, meaning we're all kind of unified on this, but the appeal isn't to, um, hey here is the scripture that you can't disagree with that we all agree on but his appeal rather is to here's what's what we all agree on um, based on the practices that have come out of these different churches
1: yeah and there's a uh, i mean there's all kinds of outs with that passage but one of the interesting things in the midst of this all you know as paul is is writing this and um, essentially, it seems to be you know a cultural mandate in the midst of it all, and the need for wisdom in the midst of that. Um, but we, we go over to the Book of Acts and we find um, that Paul himself seems to have had long hair at one point, as he was fulfilling a vow. And there are other cases throughout Scripture. You know, the Nazarite vow had with someone with long hair. So it's it's interesting that there's Paul in one context. Was fulfilling a vow, had long hair, and yet in another context, he seems to be arguing, okay, yes, uh, that the uh, women should have their head covers and, and men should not have long hair. It's like, well, what's going on there? You know. Yeah,
0: yeah, and, and these so, things that you know we're discussing, um, as far as like uh, hair and circumcision and dietary customs from the law and things like that. These are all things that also get decided on a personal level, uh, individual consciences. But the reason we're bringing them up now and for the second column, as opposed to the third column is because each of the passages we're looking at are dealing with the collective conscience of a church or a collective conscience of a group of believers, which is basically what denominations are, right? That's the collective conscience of a group of mm-hmm. people on matters of faith and practice. And so right. um, we'll get into those in more detail Um, in the next episode, and we'll talk about uh, different things like Bible translations, Calvinism, church government, church membership, baptism, uh, end times, stuff like that. Uh, But for now, sticking with what Scripture tells us about the, I don't want to really use the word denominations, but the movements of churches at that time, these are the things that came up.
1: Yes. So, do you have any yeah. other Bible passages in mind? Um, I mean, there's a, a couple that we already, you know, if if people have listened to the previous, um, you know, previous episodes, you know, they would have gotten some of those passages that we talked about. We referenced um, Titus, we referenced uh, uh, Second Timothy. That both both of those seem to indicate that there is some things, you know, that are worth disagreeing over, and other things that are worth, you know essentially you're just viewing it correctly in the right, in the right column and they're not worth uh, splitting over and they're not worth uh, fighting over in that, in that way. Um, so, you know, people could listen listen back on that uh, on those episodes and listen to uh, our discussion on those passages. But yeah, I think that's, uh, I don't have any other uh, passages beyond those.
0: Well, one of the difficulties with secondary doctrine as we we see it start to develop in the New Testament and the book of Acts and, and other places that we've just discussed, uh, but you really don't see it fully play out until you start looking at church history. And, yeah. uh, and that's really difficult because church history, uh, any church history textbook you're looking at is going to be fallible, number one. All people involved are fallible. All records are limited by the number of sources they had to look at, especially when we're talking, you know, second, third century. I mean, these, these these sources are really old and you might be limited to just one source. And um, it's really difficult that way, but um, church history is where the majority of secondary doctrine develops as people look at the completed Canon at that point, and try to figure out how things are going to be strung together. Cause, and that's very important to remember these churches like the church in Corinth, we were just talking about uh, that was dealing with head coverings. They did not have a completed Canon to look back on. They certainly didn't have a completed new Testament. They, They had their old Testament, but they didn't have the new Testament and they may have had just one or two things, maybe the gospel of Mark and maybe the letter to the Galatians or something like that. If they even had that. So, uh, there wasn't a lot of let's all sit around and look at the full new Testament and argue about Calvinism going on. All right. They were being uh, persecuted and they were dealing with all sort of moral issues that Paul had to address. So um, church history is very valuable when it comes to talking about secondary doctrine, but it also has many, uh, there are just many things that we have to be aware of when you start talking yeah. about church history.
1: There certainly are a lot of limitations, especially you mentioned you know first, second, and third century where you know the historical record in many ways is incomplete. You know a lot of the manuscripts that we have are are partials or you know they're pieced together from uh, different uh, different manuscripts and just trying to to gather a full picture of all that that went on in some of the discussions and some of the practices, it's a difficult thing. Uh, but as you go through all of church history, you know there's all all the different, eras of church history and the different developments over time, I think we can find uh, examples of this principle of of recognizing primary and secondary doctrine and which belongs in which category, times where that is practiced very, very well, where the churches displayed incredible amounts of unity and were able to come to agreements on things that where they recognized, hey, these are the primary doctrines and these are the things we stand on. And you know, these other things, you know, we're kind of agreeing to disagree on it, but we're still both believers and we can still fellowship together. And there's examples of that being done very well. There's also lots of examples of it not being done very poorly, where.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Some no, of, the, some yeah. of the, yeah, I was just saying where some of those categories get confused and divisions occur over things that as we look at the pages of scripture, and again, uh, we evaluate this principle being practiced done poorly based on the scriptural record and, the, and what we have in God's word. Uh, but where things were uh, groups dividing from each other on points of doctrine that we would look back and go, <laughs> Why did they divide mm-hmm. over that? You know, I can't believe that they really thought that that was so important that they couldn't fellowship with one another over that issue. And to the point of even, you know, anathemizing, anath- anathematizing one another yeah. uh, over those things. So,
0: yeah. Um, so you take the ecumenical creeds, for example, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, all of those, um, they're, they're good. And, what we see in them are definitions of Christianity. We see foundational doctrines being affirmed, not established. Those, those doctrines are established in scripture alone, but they are affirmed and articulated Mm -hmm. in the creeds in such a way that, uh, you know, it's making clear, this is definitional Christianity. All right? right. The Nicene Creed of course used for hundreds, thousands of years after, uh, it was written as a test of orthodoxy. And yeah. so um, what we see there, of course, is primary doctrine articulated, but because it, they're articulating primary doctrine, we don't just see what's there, we also see what's left out. Right, And we see end times left out, except for the fact that Jesus is returning. We see uh, any conversation about uh, modes of baptism just left out right? It doesn't say, uh, this is the way that everyone must be baptized. Same with communion, mm-hmm. same with methods of giving, uh, same with a variety of different things. There are a bunch of things left out. I mean, if you have a certain amount of space to establish something, you include what's important and you don't include things that, uh, I'm not going to say they're unimportant, but they are of a secondary nature, uh, just because of the way it's been revealed and interpreted, uh, by man. So um, the creeds are an important and helpful starting place.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, that's a big point too, that, yeah. The fact that there's primary doctrine assumes that there is secondary. Yes, indeed. (laughs) So
0: Yeah. Unless we say primary doctrine is all there is, in which case, uh, you know, you're not reading your Bible (laughs) because there's a lot of stuff in there and you have to decide, am I going to kill somebody over this or am I going to roll over? You know, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of three elders in our church and it's the kind of stuff where you think, okay, if the two other elders in our church both say this is what we believe we should change in our doctrinal statement or this is something that we should add to our constitution or bylaws. Um, you know, I then have to decide, okay, do I say, Kill All right. them. <laughs> Yeah. If I disagree, <laughs> if I disagree, do I say, you know, I disagree with that, but I'm not going to cause a fight over that. I'll be unified with you on that. We'll move forward. Or do I say, Oh guys, we can't go that direction because that is crossing a line. Um, you know, in a, in a church is a little more complicated. You want to do that with some secondary things, but, uh, Generally speaking, we all have to decide that in our conversations with other Christians, in our fellowship with other people, determining whether or not they even are Christians. We have to make those decisions, and, and mm. uh, we have to use tools
1: to make those decisions. Right. That's right. Well, is there uh, anything else to tack on to that conversation? Well, there are only about 400,000 things that we could tack on to that
0: conversation, but I'm afraid we're limited by time. But there, yeah, secondary is the one there can definitely be the most conversation on because scripture is so vague on it because a lot of it hadn't developed yet. And, uh, and there's so many disagreements on what is secondary. Yeah. And a lot of people want to take what we put in secondary and put it to primary, yes. And there are a lot of people that want to take what we put in secondary and move it to third column and we'll talk yeah. about that more next time i suppose
1: yeah and we'll talk specifically about some of these uh specific areas of, of doctrine that fit in this second column and hopefully provide a um, little bit of context for that and, and why it belongs there per the scriptures so all right.
0: all right well how how long have we gone here i guess we, we need to end it don't we
1: yeah, we're uh, actually don't have a timer in front of me, so I don't know exactly how long this well, is.
0: Our dear listeners, our wives—they know. So, <laughs> 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 okay. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, being a part of this and be part of the conversation too. Reach out to us and the various ways that you can do that today. And we'd, uh, you know, we'd love to talk more about this. And we hope that this has been helpful to you. And we hope that you can take this information and live a more uh, grace-filled life with other believers and a bolder life with those who are not believers. Um, That's the whole point is that we want to be balanced as the Bible instructs us to be balanced. So until next time, do theology. There it is.